On the heels of Catholic Sisters Week, hopefully we're left with a greater appreciation for the women around our archdiocese and, frankly, around our world who care for our local church by offering their love to those in need. Joining us today to unveil, pun fully intended, <laughs> the history of the many religious sisters around our archdiocese, our sister Carolyn Puccio, a sister of St. Joseph Carondelet, and our good friend Allison Spees, Archives Manager for the Archdiocese. Sister Carolyn, thank you for joining us today. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks so much. Wonderful. And Allison, welcome back. Thank you for chatting with us again. Thank you, Patrick. Great to be here. Great to have you both. So, Allison, you've joined us for many intriguing segments featuring the wonders of our archdiocese and archives. And for this month's segment, you'd asked if you could be joined by Sister Carolyn, the delegate for delegate for consecrated life in our archdiocese. We'll be diving into the influence of the wonderful Catholic sisters around our local church. But to start us off, um, we'd like to know how did you two first connect, Sister? What or Sister? How did you come into contact with Allison? Well, it was quite easy. Allison and I uh, interact as members of the Archdiocesan staff. And as the Delegate for Consecrated Life, Allison has been very helpful to me in her role as archivist. Uh, she's helped me access information about women religious in the history of the Archdiocese uh, from way back until today. Wonderful. So you've been comrades in arms there doing uh, co-laboring uh, in, the, in the vineyard, as it were, right? Absolutely. Sister Carolyn has helped me with annual statistical reporting every year, and we've even created some trivia games together. So we've been working together for quite a while. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Trivia games. Oh, my. (laughs) Okay, the whole tenor of this interview just changed. So (laughs) trivia games about religious life or about something else? Yeah, primarily for Catholic Sisters Week in years past, I believe, Sister Carolyn. Is that right? (laughs) Yes. Uh Uh-huh. All right. All right. Very good. Well, um, sister, let's uh, let's start talking a little bit about uh, the religious life and specifically, does the does the month of March have significance to religious life? Well, it does in the sense that uh, March 8th through the 14th is celebrated as Catholic Sisters Week across the United States. It's an effort to raise awareness of the presence and Ministry of Women Religious, and also to invite folks to join us in our mission. Mm, Wonderful. Well, how about you? Let's get some personal stories, Sister. Uh, What was it like to receive your call to the religious life? According to the Catholic Spirit, you were 17 when it happened? Is that right? Uh, Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Well, um, I'm always a little reluctant to tell my vocation story. I even joked with Allison that I was considering making one up, because (laughs) mine is not that holy or inspirational. But I'm happy to share it if you'd like to hear it. Well, please, give us some highlights. We're, we're up for that. I'll bet it's more holy and inspirational than you, you, you're letting on. But I want to hear some, at least Absolutely. some highlights. Okay. okay. Well, when I was in high school, now remember uh, this was back in the 1950s, the late 50s, every parish in the archdiocese was praying that prayer for vocations at every Sunday Mass. Sure. And, of course, in those days, you know, vocation meant priests and sisters. We didn't acknowledge the vocation of married folks and single folks. Well, it's that prayer where the priest prays part and the people pray part. Mm-hmm. There's one section where the priest says, Lord, the harvest is great and the laborers are few. And the people respond, choose from our homes those who are needed for your work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I would never pray that part. Uh, you don't give God that, that kind of freedom. I thought there'll be no choosing from our home choose from somebody else's home, thank you very much. So this went on every week for months, maybe years even, 
And at some point I thought, oh, my gosh, they're not going to give up on this till they get the people they need. Mm, yep. So I looked at our family. There were five kids. My older sister was married. That let her off the hook. <laughs> okay. In the 1950s, you thought the oldest boy should get married and carry on the family name. Mm. So he was exempt. Well, then there was me, and I thought, absolutely not. Well, then we had a younger sister. She was the rebel. Now, okay. my parents were very strict, and really she hardly qualified as rebellious. But in our family, that was her role. Mm. So I thought, God should choose Mary. That would be a nice challenge for God, <laughs> and it would make Mary's life very interesting. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, that even that didn't work, because my older sister... This is this is a lot of information, but you got to know it. That's all right. Uh, worked for the CIA in Italy, where she met her Marine Corps husband, who was an embassy guard. They got married in one of the chapels in St. Peter's, and in those days, it was unheard of, of course, to travel to Europe. Yeah. So my poor mother didn't get to help plan the wedding. Oh. Uh, something else that was important in those days. Well, I had decided not to get married. I was seventeen. I had dated, and I certainly hadn't met anybody that was worth that kind of commitment. <laughs> So I decided my sister Mary should get married so my mother could plan a wedding. Okay. Okay. And then rounding out the five, we also had a younger brother, Michael, who was two. I know, my mother and my older sister were pregnant at the same time. That's another story. But anyway, <laughs> I thought we can't wait until he's old enough. So I'd go back and forth and back and forth among the five of us. I think you're beginning to see why I yeah. wanted to I love make it. up a different vocation story. <laughs> well, I began to realize that somehow I got chosen. Hmm. Even though I never said that prayer, I never gave God permission to choose anyone from our <laughs> home, but it was clear that God wanted me to be a sister. Hmm. Well, I also knew that it was never a level playing field with God. It was kind of like yeah. dealing with my parents. It was just better to go along with the program. <laughs> so that's, that's how it all came about, and that was 61 years ago, and here I am. And uh, honestly, Patrick, I can't understand why there isn't a line all the way around the block to join the Sisters of St. Joseph. Okay. It's been a wonderful life. Yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. I want to dig into that. But I have to say, Sister, you're, you're fleshing out a corollary to the things that you're talking about, uh, an axiom, if you will, of mine, a spiritual axiom, which is never say never where God can hear you. <laughs> right. I might get that needle pointed. I think that's a great, great phrase. Right, right. Now, um, you have served in a variety of capacities as a sister of Saint Joseph. Uh you've served teaching, you've served uh you've served as a licensed psychologist as well. Um, which again, according to the Catholic Spirit article on you, um weren't necessarily your first choices either, right? Well, I've really had several careers, uh, as have many of our sisters. Sure. That's kind of what happens when you are willing to respond to the needs of the times. Um, the backstory on that is I always wanted to be a nurse. I was actually accepted into the nursing program at St. Kate's um, before I entered the convent, so I assumed that's what I would be. Well, imagine my surprise when the sister in charge said, Well, dear, we believe God wants you to be a teacher. I protested, saying, wait a minute, God and I have had a lot of conversations about this. I'm pretty sure we agreed upon nursing. <laughs> well, there was more talk back and forth, and finally she said, look, we staff, and I don't remember the number, it might have been 60 or 70 grade schools and four hospitals. Trust me, she said, God wants you to be a teacher. Hmm. Oh, I said, is that how this works? Hmm. And she said, mm-hmm, that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> 
So just to fill you in, my undergraduate degree is in elementary education. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I saw the need to develop a religious education program in the first parish I went to. And I said, well, someone should do something about that. And I was told, what a great idea. Mm-hmm. You do it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So then I decided I needed to know what I was doing, and the community supported my earning a master's degree in religious education. And for many years, I coordinated religious education programs in a variety of rural parishes. Uh, I served as a pastoral minister, a coordinator of worship, and how the psychology thing came about. In one small town, I was kind of Mrs. Church, okay. because the pastors of all the churches were male, and if no surprise. And if someone wanted a female perspective on things, regardless of their denomination, they would often come to me. Hmm. And I would listen and, and, you know, counsel them as best I could. And then I would say, you need to go talk to a real counselor now. And they would say, no, don't, don't make us start all over again. So I called the community and said, now I think I need to get a counseling degree. And I've been licensed as a, a psychologist in Minnesota since 1998. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that thing about responding to the needs of the time. Yeah. I served on our leadership team, did development work for Crandallit Village, and just when I thought I could coast a bit, I was appointed eight years ago to be the delegate for Consecrated Life. Right. So do you know what that is, Patrick? Why don't you tell us? Okay. It's the Archbishop's representative to all the religious priests, brothers, sisters, members of secular institutes, societies of apostolic life, consecrated virgins living in the world, and hermits. Wow. Now, I always say the hermits aren't much trouble, and they really never show up for <laughs> Yeah, so I can imagine. I've worn a lot of hats over the years. Yeah, I guess so. But I tell you what, sister, as uh, as reticent as you may be to tell these stories on air, I, I we can hear the joy in your voice. And I think one of the things that your story really does tell well is submission to obedience. And that, as I've heard time and time again from a number of people with religious vocations and, and priestly vocations, that obedience is one of the toughest, if not the toughest, of the evangelical councils to live out. Yeah, that that first one is the toughest. After that, you kind of yeah. <laughs> figure it out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. Well, I love that. Allison, let's bring you into the conversation here. Anything, what can you tell us? I mean, we're just coming off Catholic Sisters Week, and, and uh, what can you tell us about the many religious sisters around our local church? There's, there's so much to share, and I love hearing Sister Carolyn's stories. I think she's a great representative of the diversity of, of sisters in this archdiocese. We currently have approximately 450 sisters representing at least 35 different religious orders active wow. here. Um, and they've really been a fundamental part of the life of the Archdiocese since its very, very beginning. Um, the Sisters of St. Joseph of Carondelet, of course, arrived in 1851, just a year after the founding of the diocese. And they and the many sisters who quickly followed them founded many of our oldest institutions, our earliest schools and colleges, hospitals, our charitable organizations. Um, one of our favorite trivia questions, of course, is about the founding of the first safety uh, patrol program right. at a school in this country uh, by Sister Carmela Hangi. Um, and I, of course, love that story because I was the captain of the safety patrol at the school. <laughs> um, and just the now, Allison, of, she was a sister of St. Joseph. Please don't leave that out. Yeah. <laughs> thank right. you, thank you. Thank you for the correction. Um, but everything from conservatories of art and music to the first deaf-mute institute, um, they have been 
continuously active for the whole history of the archdiocese. And while they're still active in those areas, they've really grown to meet the diverse needs of the present time and are so involved in critical social services, healthcare, ecological and social justice. It's really inspiring just all the different ministries that they're involved in, both as individuals and as communities. I think inspiring is the right word there. It, it really is just to hear about all the different things, all the different levels. I mean, there's, it's the hands and feet of Christ that you're talking about there when you when you see something like that. And Sister Carolyn, you had mentioned earlier about um, you you don't understand why they're just not lining up to become sisters. Tell us tell us more about that, or or maybe if somebody if some young woman or maybe not so young woman is feeling the tug toward religious life, um, what might you say to her? I'm glad you asked that. Um, I guess uh, I would say my experience tells me that responding to the call is a very unique uh, and individual journey. Every story is different. But my advice is don't be afraid. I was talking with a group of young adult women actually just last week, and they said they're kind of afraid to entertain the V question, the vocation question, because they're afraid of what it will lead. So I would say to anyone who's considering it or trying not to consider it, uh, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I I really never thought I would be this happy. Wow, that's a that's a testimony in and of itself. I really never thought I would be this happy. Wow, and you've done so much to uh, to help out with the assistance or assist with the happiness of so many others uh, as they seek to follow the Lord in our local church as well. Allison, um, not to put everything on on you in terms of regaling us with all the stories of, of religious sisters in, in our midst uh, in anything, but any particularly poignant uh, story that has really struck you over the over the years about religious sisters and their work in our archdiocese? Oh, it's it would be hard to choose. I know um, we had already talked previously about the founding of St. Joseph's Hospital um, and how instrumental that was in combating early uh, epidemics in the archdiocese. Um, and there are some really remarkable stories about um, neighborhoods threatening um, to demolish uh, hospitals that were set up because they didn't want quarantines in their area, and um, the nurses and sisters standing guard to uh, make sure that people got the health care they needed and um, effectively saving those communities. Um, so there's some really remarkable um, moving things, of course, in the history. Um, but I'm also rather fond of kind of the lighter side of those histories. And one of my favorites, um, I don't know if, Sister Carolyn, you may even remember this, but in the late 1950s, um, there, was, there were international headlines made uh, by a sister in Minnesota because of a student rocket club yes. that she led. Yeah. Uh, and they had launched a mouse into space, and <laughs> uh-huh. there was an uproar around um, the ethics of that. Um, but it was a very successful aeronautics program, so we applauded <laughs> her for that. Um, so really, the, the, the work that has been done by the sisters here is all over the map. Yeah. Um, and I, of course, am very partial to the founding of the College of St. Catherine since I got my graduate degree there. Mm. Um, and really, just there's, there's nary a portion of the archdiocese that they haven't touched. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as, as you're both speaking here, you know what I'm picturing? I'm picturing it's a wonderful life. You know, <laughs> a, 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 ah. you know George Bailey gets to see sure. uh, what life would be like if he hadn't existed. I, I, I would love to, well, no, I wouldn't love it, but it would be a terrible picture to imagine what our local church would be like if you took all the religious sisters out and the work that they've done over the years out of it. So, 
Well, ladies, I am afraid that we have reached the end of our time already, which, um, yeah, seems like a tragedy in and of itself. But uh, (laughs) so grateful to talk to you. Allison, as always, it's good to have you on the program. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And Sister Carolyn, thank you so much for being with us and telling us these these great, inspiring stories from your own life and uh, such great encouragement to not be afraid. Thank you, Sister. Thank you so much. All right. God bless you both. God bless you, too. If you would like to explore a little bit more of a vocation here in our archdiocese, uh, go to 10,000vocations.org. That's the number, 10000vocations.org, to learn more about religious life. Next up, how do our mental health care professionals practice their faith in their professions? How does good mental health care training affect us as their patients? Stay with us.